Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I haven't put an episode out, I don't know, probably for two weeks or so. I am sorry about that. I know I made an announcement that I was going to be stepping back from doing several episodes a week, but I didn't think it would be this much. It's just been lots of work over here. As you guys know, I've started working in the power line industry again, and we've just had storm after storm over here. I'm actually going back in early first thing in the morning um, and actually declined working today because things weren't crazy. But there is a storm that's gone through and there's been power outages. Um, so I've had to reschedule tons of podcasts. I'm still working on getting ones done that were supposed to be done in December. So I'm sorry about that. But here we are. Um also, got exciting news. This is the first time I've had someone sponsor the show. We've got a sponsor this week. They're good friends of mine from Lions of Liberty. Um, I've had both of the guys on the show from Lions of Liberty, John Odermatt and Brian McWilliams. Uh, I've actually gotten to know Brian McWilliams personally pretty well over the last year. I uh, got to meet him out in Reno, spent some good time with him. Um, and also saw him out in Vegas uh, during Freedom Fest and have enjoyed a lot of back and forth with these guys on social media and then been on their show, had them on mine. So please go check them out. They're great. Uh, Lions of Liberty is one of the longest running libertarian podcasts that's out there. I mean, they started doing this back when podcasting wasn't even really a thing yet. They've been around a lot longer than us. Um, they were in the game before every single libertarian had a podcast. Um, so go check them out. On uh, Monday, John Odermatt delivers a powerful mix of inspiration, health, and faith to set your mind, body, and soul free with Finding Freedom. So you can watch John Odermatt there. And then every Wednesday, Brian McWilliams will make you laugh at our broken world while providing the promise of a better future with Mean Age Daydream. Uh, Friday includes shows like Meme Wars or Hate Watch or their famous Libertarian in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor episodes. Uh, so go check out Lions of Liberty. They're the first step toward freedom. Um, they've had lots of great guests, you know, basically everybody I've had on my show, plus more. Um, listen to them on, uh, you know, anywhere that you can find podcasts, just like me, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, if you look down in the links in the description, I have some of their links there to YouTube and to Twitter. So go give them a follow. Go check them out. Please go check them out if you haven't before. Uh, this is the first time I've done a sponsorship. So try to help me reflect well on doing an ad read for them and go give them a subscription. Go listen to their show. Go join their Patreon if you want. Um, good guys. So go check them out. Anyway. Um, like I said, right around Christmas, I was going to try to redirect this show slightly instead of talking just about politics. I wanted to talk with some people who had bettered their own lives through finding a skill and making themselves valuable in a field where they could make a lot of money. Um, so moving back to New Hampshire, uh, one of these guys in the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire that I'd kind of known through Twitter, and I'd, I think I'd met him at Porkfest Pork briefly, we started uh, talking a lot 
online. And then since I've been back here in New Hampshire, uh, when I was working on the Jeremy Kaufman campaign and doing social media for the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire, I became pretty good friends with him. He is Eric Sawyer, uh, local carpenter here in New Hampshire, and uh, obviously Libertarian member um, and guy who does social media for the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire. Eric, how are you doing today, man? Good, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. Excited. Yeah, absolutely, man. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I guess uh, before we get into what you do for work, how did you get into the whole like uh, the libertarian sphere? What uh, what kind of led you down that path? Well, I'd say it started in like 2013. Before that, I was a I was a bit apolitical. I lean left, um, started getting into like the anti-war movement a little bit. And then, um, you know, I won't go through the whole thing, but I, I discovered Ron Paul and, you know, typical libertarian story from there. And then in um, 2020, I moved to New Hampshire for, because of the Precinct project. And um, b- before that, I got involved with the Jacob Hornberger campaign, became a Mises Caucus organizer in Mass., and then um, as soon as I moved to New Hampshire, I uh, linked up with our friend Ben Richards and J.D. Olinsky and became an organizer for the New Hampshire Mises Caucus. And that eventually led to me becoming the communications chair for LPNH, which is just basically the social media manager. So I just I manage all the social media accounts for LPNH. <laughs> yeah. Uh, LP New Hampshire, like they they haven't been on the map as far as social media goes for that long. It's been like just over a year. And yeah. I think it's kind of funny because most people don't even know who you are, but you've done right. most of the posting and also made most of the posts that have gone viral. Yes, and, I'm, the, I'm the non-celebritarian <laughs> of LPNH, but it, it's been close to two years now, so... We had our partial takeover of LPNH in 2021, and that was in January. And then March 2021 is when I got the keys to Twitter. And at the start, it was me and there was a couple people on the, on the early iteration of the social media team that were from, you know, for, for lack of a better term, the, the loser brigade. And so, like, like we would be trading off tweets, I tweet out something, you know, good and based and they would tweet out something like, you know, trans lives matter or something like that. And, and, and then the infamous, uh, attempted coup happened and we lost the keys for a couple of weeks and we got them back and, you know, they all went away and it was just me for a little bit. And then I, um, I think in June of 2021, I added Jeremy, Jeremy Kaufman, and then it was us for about a year. And then, you know, we added you this past summer. Yeah. No, it's been a wild ride. I mean, um, what, what was the what was the first tweet you guys sent that really <sighs> ruffled feathers? I don't know if you can remember. I mean, because just for context, for people who don't know, the coup uh, in New Hampshire was almost like just a reaction to the social media. And how right. Like, yeah. You guys are being. I remember, I remember the first, the first tweet that we did, um, but the first one that 
riled up feathers might have been the the John McCain tumor tweet. And then the the one that really ruffled feathers was um, when I added Jeremy and he came in swinging with the child labor tweet. And that's the one that kind of really set everything off. And then the coup happened shortly after that. Yeah. So um, I got to admit, like before the whole New Hampshire tweet thing happened, I was a little bit more of the mindset of like professional messaging. Like we, you mm -hmm. know, no one's ever going to listen to you unless you're, you know, just being relatable and, you know, not trying to sound like you're too crazy, but the New Hampshire thing was just a really, was a really uh, eye opening moment because it forced the other side to show their colors. And then as more time has gone on, we've actually seen, the shifting of the Overton window, like stuff that a year ago would have just like blown up the internet and made the news. If right. we tweeted that exact same thing now, and we have tried it, like, like we, we've done the, the same trial labor tweet a couple times and, you know, <laughs> yeah, now it's pretty much a law in New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah. I was, I, I was the same way. Like I was more like, I, I ran Jacob Bornberger's Twitter for the entire duration of his campaign and you know it was just straight laced you know libertarian so i was representing somebody else so you know i had to be serious and then once i started lpnh and then really when jeremy came on i actually i bought from him and i got out a message and why new hampshire can be a little bit bolder and you know push that try to shift that overton window a little more than say the other states yeah no, I mean, and it, it, it works. Uh, where did you like, where did you realize you had a knack for social media? Was it, was LPNH like the first time you ever said something that had tens of thousands of people losing their minds? Or was there like a precursor to that where you well, started realizing? I'd say, do this? I'd say it was the, the Hornberger campaign. Um, when that first started, I got, I was really excited about that. Like, you know, at the time, you know, it didn't pan out. He didn't turn out. I, mean, I love the guy, but it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. But I uh, actually started a like an Instagram page for him. And then just because I felt like it. And then somebody noticed it and asked me to join the social media team. And, you know, one thing led to another. And then I started running his Twitter account. And then that led to us starting the podcast and, you know, doing a weekly live stream with him. So, you know, I got the feel of Twitter at that time, you know, running his account. And then, you know, eventually that led to me doing LPNH. You know, I put my name at the 2021 convention. I signed up for the communications committee and I uh, let them know I have a little bit of experience running Twitter accounts. And I just, you know, started doing it and learned as i as i went <laughs> yeah no it's uh and then like yeah and then with jeremy and you you guys have just like you know made it that much better <laughs> it's uh it's a great team like i love uh we all kind of uh i don't know we all, we're all kind of on the same page with what type of messaging we're trying to right. push and um I don't know. There's uh and then behind the scenes, let's give, we'll give a little shout out to the rest of the communications team, you know, Bill and Matt and all yep. those other guys. I've had 
once in a while I'll have a, a, a meme idea and I'll run it by Bill Barger and I'll tell Bill and he'll make, we've had a few viral memes that, you know, get I'll have the idea or I'll just tell it, to, I'll tell it to him and he'll make the meme and I'll send it out and it goes, and it goes viral. Yeah, he has the uh, credit for getting the most internationally uh, recognized tweet we ever made. I think he he made the meme for that one. <laughs> he did. I, I think so. Know. Right. The McCain, your McCain one? No, no, not mine. The uh, the Zelensky one. That was. Oh mine. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I was. Literally laying in my bed one night, and I thought of that in my head, and I just texted her. I said, "Can you do this?" He said, "Yep." <laughs> See, that's how it starts. It starts as a thought in Eric's head, and then within a few days, it's written about in the Jerusalem Post. That's just how things <laughs> go around here. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, the I always thought it was funny when I started getting into podcasting and into political spheres. You know, whatever like crass humor or offensive jokes I ever heard, they were nothing compared to the type of shit I'd hear on a job site. Because on a job site, nothing's yeah. being recorded and everyone hates being at work and just wants to go home. And so there's like this drive to just throw the most disgusting, like <clears throat> shocking thing you can think of out there to just get people to go like oh what the fuck okay that's funny that'll like distract me for a few minutes to forget i'm at work um so like seeing people clutch their pearls over dumb political jokes or whatever i always thought was funny have you kind of yeah. thought the same thing or yeah absolutely absolutely but like even more so like people get so upset over tweets they get more upset over lpnh tweets than they do about, you know, like we've said a million times, like the war in Yemen or, you know, Israel's occupation of Palestine. Like, they get more outraged over that than, you know, real world stuff that's happening. Yeah. No, yeah, that that's very true. Also, I've noticed, like, when I was on Tulsi Gabbard's campaign back in 2019, 2020, like trying to talk to normal people about kind of abstract political stuff, whether it was like wars overseas or some sort of like uh, civil liberties thing or whatever, it was all so removed from their immediate lives that they didn't really care. Like you had to be talking about um, you had to be talking about something that they could tangibly understand that was going to affect them directly. So you could talk about like how many people had died in Afghanistan or like, you know, what factions of Al Qaeda and ISIS we were arming in Syria or whatever. And they just wouldn't care. And then if you say, well, Hey, if we end this, then we can start paying you. They, then you can keep more of your money and it won't be going to this thing. Then they'd suddenly like tune in and be like, ah, oh, okay. Oh yeah, um, you tell them you're, you know, it's it's your tax dollars that are funding all of this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like that's kind of the only way to get to people. Like I, I don't know. Like I don't. I, I've become more callous over the last few years, and um, basically just tried to instead of like trying to shame people into 
feeling bad about how something is going on. I just try to, I just try to convict them in the way of like, look at, you know, how much this is hurting you and look at how much money this is wasting and this isn't putting you first and this put isn't putting America first, like almost attacking things from a selfish angle. Cause that's the only way you can really motivate anyone to care about anything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's coming out of your wallet and yeah, people are just, people are worried about their, their day to day activities, you know, getting the, the, the kids to soccer practice and this and that. And most people don't have time to get into, you know, you know, who's, who's funding, you know, El Nusra in Syria. And it just, it's just too much for the average person. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you do for work. Um, you're a, you're a carpenter and when people think that they might just think woodworking, but your job's actually a lot more involved with that. So tell us like what you do exactly and what you're doing. I do, um, I do uh, metal stud framing and drywall, but mostly uh, metal stud framing. Uh, union mm-hmm. carpenter since two thousand two. So I got in like right up right after high school, and I've been doing it ever since. So how'd you get into that field? Was it uh, something your family did, or yep, something yeah, it was my, my father did? my my father did it, my uncle did it, my grandfather did it, and. Uh, yeah, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do coming out of high school. I barely scraped through high school. Um, and then once once I became a, a senior, I was about to graduate. And my, you know, my old man was like, you know, you're either going to college or you're going to come to work with me. Take your pick. So, you know, I picked going to work with him and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, I mean... I remember I, I, some people might not know this, but I actually, I was accepted to college and I had scholarships and everything and I was going to go for criminal justice, believe it or not. So I could have ended up <laughs> being a cop. Um, and um, I even that read the cop. <laughs> Dude, I would have been, I was joking about this to some of my coworkers. <clears throat> I would have been a great cop because something I say is the only good cop is a bad cop. And I would have been, one of those cops that just like never <laughs> charged anyone with anything. I just, if I get pulled over, I'd want it to be from Reed Coverdale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be the type that would like, you know, someone's going 90 and a 60, just like speed up and pull up next to them, roll the window down. Like, Hey, what's, what's the hurry? You want to just slow it down a little bit? You know, <laughs> one of those types. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but th- that almost became a reality. Uh, but then like two weeks before I was supposed to go to college, I just was like, man, I don't want to go back to school again. I, I just I hate I don't know if you hated high school. I said he barely oh, through, but yeah. I, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's public schools. They just just suck the will for learning out of everybody. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I got. In a little bit of trouble when I was in my junior year, I got, it was, so this is back in 2000. So quite a while ago, um, you know, pot was very much still illegal in mass. And I was selling pot to my friends in high school. And I got busted across the street from my high school. After school, I'd go across the street and hang out. I'd wait for my buddy to come pick me up to go work on our landscaping job that I had at the time. 
and uh, I got caught. I got arrested. Was in jail for a little for the for the night, and then um, you know um, I had to go to court and all that stuff. Got was they told me I was going to go to prison for a year, and it, it the whole like three, four, five trials later, you know, I got off with probation, and you know I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and then you know that's when you know, my father came to me and said, you know, just come work with me if you don't want to go to college or anything, and. That's how all that started. Yeah, I mean, the the sad thing is that our society is kind of geared toward saying that you're only successful if you do well in high school and then you continue on to college. And, you know, I, I hated learning in high school. Like in high school, I did not want to learn about algebra. I didn't want to learn about anything. I just wanted to like go work or go you know play or like i just didn't want to be in a classroom learning but now and i know you're like this too because you're just consuming podcasts all the time and like learning more and more about politics and foreign policy or whatever like now i have a desire to learn a lot of that it's actually kind of funny the two classes that i did the absolute worst in i got like a 70 in both of them was uh citizenship and law and economics back in high school <laughs> i just like yeah. i can't even care. remember anything in high school that i enjoyed or in school in general everything that i had a desire to <clears throat> to know about and learn came came after and i you know through just your own research and podcasts you know, listen I mostly work alone at work so I can have my headphones all day. I just I listen to podcasts and audiobooks all day. And that's, you know, that's how I've learned for the last 20, 21, 22 years now. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just so dumb that it's really like, because your elementary and middle school grades don't matter that much. It's really all your high school grades. So it's like you're from the time you're 16 from the time you're like 15 till the time you're 18 is what determines success for so many people and your brain like hasn't even fully formed you haven't spent time in the real world yet to figure out like you know what type of person you are what type of stuff you like doing and so many decisions are made within that short four-year window and (laughs) you know like i don't know it's just this is ridiculous. And I feel yeah. like more and more, or go ahead if you have a comment. No, I'm just going to say, you know, a lot of people go on to college and just get these useless degrees that, you know, they come out and, you know, they, they're not, they, they got no, nowhere to go. And it's like, you, you get the trades over here that like, you can make a really good living and a lot of money and like, there's nobody going into them. You know, we need more people going into the trades and you can make a really good career doing electrical, doing carpentry, doing what you do. And uh, it's, 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 it's a better path if you don't want to waste your money. You, you know, go and make money right away after high school instead of wasting $100,000 paying for college. Yeah. So like what for, in your day-to-day jobs like what type of cool things have you been able to see cuz I've been like I've been able to go into mines around the country and like 
do some crazy stuff with the power line work, like see really cool things well, that other people wouldn't necessarily, but have you been like on high rises? Like what type of, what type of stuff have you done? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I did a little bit of work in the Hancock building in Boston, but um, I remember listening to a podcast of yours recently and you talked about how, you know, you go out in a storm and you fix somebody's electricity and that, you know, that really makes you feel good. Um, you know, I built, I've helped build hospitals, schools, office buildings for other people to work in. And when you really sit back and think about it, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, you're really, you're building something, you're doing something for, that's going to give other people an opportunity and work. And, you know, you build a hospital where, you know, people's lives are going to be saved. And, and at the end of the day, it really makes you feel good. Yeah. So how, how long are you typically in one job site at a time? Like how often do you, I know it probably varies quite it's, a bit, but are you usually yeah, like it varies quite a bit, but you know, it could be like, I was just in a, on a job for like two weeks in between before that I was on a job in Gloucester for about seven months. I was in another job for two weeks and now I'm on another job that I'll be on probably for six, seven months. So anywhere from like, I'm on a job for a while. It's, anywhere from six to six months to a year. And then I'll move on to the next one. So uh, with what you do specifically, are you just doing the metal studs or is there like anything else you do or? Yeah, I, I, I come in and, you know, all the, the steels up, the concrete's mostly poured. And I come in and either me or me and another person will frame the, the exterior walls of a building. And then once that's done, we'll move on to the interior and frame all the interior walls, the soffits, the ceilings. And then um, if I end up staying on the job longer, I'll do a little bit of sheetrock. But typically, I'll move on to the to the next one and you know start framing that one up. Yeah. So do you get to see the progression of the job ever? Like you guys coming in and start from the bottom up and then like the so, electricians start coming in and stuff or. Yeah. Yeah. I, I usually get to the point where, you know, if it's like a six or seven story building, I'll start framing it at the bottom. And then by the time I'm on like the third or fourth floor, the first and second floor are getting sheetrock, uh, electrical plumbing and then sheetrock. So I'll, I'll, typically see a job up until like maybe they're painting and then I'll be on to the next one. I, I very rarely see a, the finished product of a job once in a while, but no, not often. Yeah. I've so, done so many, I'd like to go back once in a while to see the finished product, but I never have. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. When I like, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny if I'm driving near a road where I know I set all the poles and it's a short detour, to like yeah. go down there i'll like drive down because i would mostly when i worked here before i mostly just set poles um and then the guys would come behind and like do the line work so sometimes sometimes i would just be there and literally set all the poles and anchors and then not even like get to see the line work sometimes i'd be like starting on the poles and then a couple weeks later the line guys come behind me start stringing the wire while i'm still like setting the poles ahead of them but it's cool to like go back and see the whole thing when it's yeah. all done. And um, I don't know. It's cool. Like uh, 
it's cool being part of a crew, like being part of um, a team getting something done. Like that's just, uh, I, yeah. I did realize when I was truck driving, just being by myself, that that was something that was missing a little bit. Like, you know, the camaraderie of like going to work with the guys and getting something big accomplished. It's kind of a good feeling. Definitely. Yeah. I, that, like I said a little bit um, earlier, definitely when you sit back and think about it, you know, you go to work every day and, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. You get up really early, you know, you're out working outside every day, you're sore. And, you know, I got, I got shoulder surgery a year ago, but when you really sit to think about it, like I've been doing it for 21 years now and I helped build a lot of buildings. And at the, at the end of the day, you know, you know, it, it feels good that, you know, you help, you know, you're building, you know, it sounds cheesy, but you're helping building America, you know, you're building, yeah. creating jobs and, you know, shit like that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's why all these commies sound so dumb. Like they don't realize, <laughs> I mean, I know they talk about the workers a lot, but they don't realize like the amount of capital that goes into creating a business and like keeping people going to work and employed and like, I mean, I, I know you get paid good money like I do. So um, having a good employer who takes care of you, like realizing how hard that is, <clears throat> how much work it is. And, you know, just, I don't know, it, it, it creates a lot of appreciation for um, business, you know, like, I mean, I, I think a lot of the, a lot of the songs about work and stuff, they're all about like the, you know, screwing the man and, um, you know, sticking it to him and just trying to get your hours in. But like, if you have a job where you're skilled and you're making good money and you're like part of, I don't know how many people work at your company, but like at the company I'm yeah. at, I think there's like 50 people or something. So the yeah. contributions you make, like they can actually extend the company's, um, you know, extend the company's success. So you're like an integral part of growing the business and making it more successful. And it's a really great feeling instead of just like showing up at a warehouse, making 15 bucks an hour, stacking boxes or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. The, the crew size vary, you know, like it could be anywhere from five to like a hundred freaking people, but you know, I, you know, your, your average, you know, American progressive today, you know, if you, if I was walking down the street, with my work gear on, they, you know, they just look down, you know, they, they think they're for the workers, but they'll, they'll look down their nose at you in a heartbeat. They wouldn't last a day on one of our jobs. <laughs> no, dude, it's, it's so funny. I, uh, when I was working out in Colorado, I was doing roofing with a bunch of this. So there were like a bunch of Mexicans and then there were some people from like Africa, different African countries, and then some people from different European countries. So it was like the most diverse group of people I'd ever worked with. And it was like the most racist place I'd ever worked. <laughs> like the blacks were all making jokes. No, my partner Mexican. right now is a Mexican. He's more racist than I am. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> They're like some of the most racist people I've ever met. It's 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 actually funny in hindsight, like thinking about it. Dude, you'll um, never find a better sheetrocker than a Mexican. Swear to God, same with sheetrockers in the world. Yeah, dude, they, uh, <laughs> this roofing company, like, I think it was probably, I don't know, 80% Mexican. And then there were like five or six white guys. And then the rest, 
probably like 10 black guys or something but like if a if a white english speaking guy showed up uh new hire we would all like make bets on how long this guy would last it'd be like oh i bet he makes it like two or three days or whatever and the mexicans yeah. like they show up on time yeah. do work hard and oh man it's yeah crazy. definitely it, it's changed since i've been in when i first got in back in like 2002 it was like dominated by French Canadians. There was so many French Canadians, old timers, you know, we called them frogs. Um, yep. <laughs> um, but you know, from like probably 2010 till now, it's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of Mexicans. I've met a lot of really good Mexicans and they're fucking amazing workers. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's no denying that. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was funny the um the uh the mexicans like accepted me as an honorary mexican because i, I speak spanish and uh, i also would like eat really spicy food like we'd go out to eat and stuff and i'd get just as much hot sauce and everything <laughs> as they would and i also was yeah. so tan and dirty from roofing like I, my skin was every, darker than some of their skin so every every like, curse word every um spanish curse word i learned was from the job site oh yeah those are the best because you can like yell them in a group yeah. you know you I said mean, you like spicy that. food i like spicy food but um some you know they bring their own everyone brings their own lunch to work but uh yeah you know sometimes the my mexican friends bring you know tacos and fajitas and stuff like that and they and they bring enough for like almost the whole crew and they share them and you know you don't know spicy until you have one of their freaking tacos it's unbelievable yeah do they ever bring like little stoves and cook right on the job site because a lot yep. of the guys out in colorado yeah, would do that, that. Times, yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um do you ever like talk about politics at all with the guys at work or do you just mostly it, keep it to yourself it depends or? Like mostly I avoid it, but it doesn't take much to get it out of me. Like what, one little, one little trigger will, you know, last job I was on, my partner mentioned Ukraine and then I just like went off <laughs> about it. And then, you know, I kind of explained to him what my position was, you know, what libertarianism is and you know, here and there I'll talk about it, but typically I just, I just go to work. Yeah. Yeah. We, we worked right through Christmas because of the storm and, you know, we all got crazy checks for working, but it was funny. Like the day we got our checks, which was the Thursday after Christmas was the same day that Joe Biden signed that $1.7 trillion spending bill. And so yeah. like, I think like 35% or something of my check was just gone to the federal government. Cause when you're making that crazy overtime stuff, they just like take so much of it. Mm -hmm. And everyone else in the company was realizing that too. And I almost like wanted to send a group text to the entire company. Like, don't worry guys, you know, the government's spending that money they took out of your check really well. They're really going to take care of you. <laughs> you know, they're sending 45 billion more to Ukraine and, you know who knows does your else. company know like what you do like your podcast oh, yeah. and your twitter yeah. personality and all that yeah yeah actually one because i've worked here before a couple times but when i was coming back i was uh 
and my cousin owns the company. So he, I was, um, I was sitting down for an interview with him a few months ago and I did tell him, I was like, by the way, uh, I know when I worked here back in 2019, I wasn't, uh, cause I had been on Tulsi's campaign, but right. nothing like I wasn't anything. <laughs> I didn't have any sort of social media presence. So I was like, um, yeah, I mean, I am pretty provocative on Twitter and I was like screaming at Maggie Hassan through a loudspeaker the other day. And, you know, so I might make it into the news occasionally and people might call you and like say stuff about me or whatever. But, you know, you know who I am. You know what I think? So if you get docs and they go out, they go after you, call your company, it's not going to matter. No, they already have actually. And they have? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's, it's weird. Like I used to, um, my, I think most of the guys that I work with are pretty conservative and I used to like not get along with them as well as I do now What everything that's happened over the last few years, um, has kind of like put me in alignment with them in a way that hadn't right. existed before. Like I used to just be kind of like, cause when Trump was president, you know, it was like, Oh, everything's fine and everything's good. And it's like, no, it's not. And I was pulling my hair out trying to, you know, whenever I'd talk about politics, so we just like, wouldn't agree on much. But now like after all the craziness with COVID and you know, like how much Joe Biden sucks and this crazy war in Ukraine, like it's so easy to talk to them now, be on the same level and be like, yeah, this is just insane. Yeah, but no, yeah, like uh, <clears throat> I'm in I'm in the union, so like typically that's known to be like <clears throat> left wing, and as far as like you know the 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 suits in the union, you know they're always trying to you know push us to vote Democrat. They send us flyers and stuff, and um, but like when you get down to like the worker level, like especially 2016 through 2020, that whole Trump era, you go onto the average job site and talk to the average actual worker. You know, you, you, I'd see Trump bumper stickers on people's trucks, like 10 to one. Oh, I, I actually yeah. can't even think of if I've ever seen a Biden sticker on a construction worker's truck to either nothing or a Trump sticker or some sort of conservative, you know, sticker of some sort. And, uh, yeah, so. Yeah. No, it's, um, what was COVID like for you guys? Did it screw you up big time with, with your company or did not really? I, going? well, I think we were out for, I was home for maybe a month, not even like three weeks. I think it was. My, uh, my father actually retired right when that happened. He had like two months left. He'd been in for like over 30 years and he ended up, he just said, fuck it, I'm done. And he just retired. But I was out for t three weeks and then I came back. I was on a job in Cambridge. I was actually on a job in Cambridge right next to, I apparently one of the um, first cases in the United States came from one of these labs in Boston, I guess, but I was, I was right next to it. Um, but the only inconvenience was, you know, we had to, we had to wear a mask. So like I barely wore, I had the bandana for a little bit. No, yeah. nobody really um, abided by it. 
for a while we had to like take our temperature before we went on to the job that lasted for a couple months and then it pretty much just went away it, it really wasn't an issue for us mm -hmm. what about and then, you uh yeah well i let's see i was actually unemployed when everything fell apart so i left new hampshire oh, yeah. in the end of 2019 and then i had surgery and then after i healed up from surgery i moved out west and then march i was i had like five job interviews for driving truck there was one in utah which i eventually got but two in arizona one in colorado one in uh, washington and all the interviews fell through the floor because of covid they said oh we don't even have our drivers moving right and, um then i finally got the job in june out in utah but uh Luckily for me, I was alone all the time. So like I didn't have to wear a mask anyway. The only time I'd ever have to like abide by anything was getting gas at a gas or getting a diesel at a fuel station or something. But it was, they it was kind of a they didn't deal force job. the vax on you or anything. No, because we got uh I mean we there were only six of us, so we didn't fall under because they were threatening like if you had a hundred employees or whatever you had to they were threatening that you were going to have to do that, but we weren't ever in that. Um, we weren't ever in that zone. What were they ever pushing that stuff on you guys at your company nope. or no, not at all. Nope. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I know people in other companies that did have to deal with it. That man, dude, that that's what like, we're both in died on the range though. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> I, um, that, that's what like really transformed the way I think and made me start thinking about coming back to New Hampshire was like how insane everybody got over the last three years. Like people I knew who I thought were, you know, more independent minded or more fact based or more sensible or you know more respecting of people's rights they just all threw it out the window in fear and i know no nowhere is perfect but at least in new hampshire there's like this culture of i'm gonna do my thing and you can do your thing and just leave me alone and yep. while i was gone i started realizing that you know having a community that like believes in the same basic principles as you is really important. And I realized I actually wanted to come back, but yeah, I think, um, pork fest 2020 was like the only major libertarian event that happened that year in the mm -hmm. entire country. <laughs> yeah. In New Hampshire. Yeah. You moved to New Hampshire in 2020? Is that what you Ju said? Or? July of 2020, yeah. yeah. Was that triggered at all by COVID or was it something you were thinking anyways? No, it's, the something that I, it's something that I wanted to do pretty much since I said I became a libertarian in probably around 2013, I think. And I, um, I started listening to Free Talk Live and I found out about the Free State Project. And since from that time, I, I wanted to move to New Hampshire, you know, and it just took took some time to be able to, you know, save and find a place. And it finally happened in 2020. And I got, you know, plugged in right away to the, you know, the wonderful 
liberty community that we have here as you know yeah yeah if uh you know all free staters look the same we all have beards and you yeah. know kind of like you know <laughs> working men it's kind of like we all it's once we're all in a group it's really hard to tell us apart <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's the <clears throat> that's the best thing about new hampshire is just the culture and the groups that that's the best thing that's come out of you know being uh mises caucus organizer when i got here and you know all these connections that we've made and connecting with the free state project and all the all the friends we've made and you know it's you know that's doesn't it's not happening in any other part of the country and it's a special place yeah so i I think they introduced that bill already that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm not sure, but the the one to like basically illegalize the Libertarian Party, like make it impossible to run. So right now, it's oh yeah 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 they they trying to raise the filing fees right. Yeah, right now it's what a hundred bucks to file, and then you need like five thousand signatures, and they're trying to raise it to ten thousand dollars to file and you need like 20,000 signatures or something. So like if that happens, it's, I mean, if that happens, that's the end of any chance the libertarian party has. Yeah. But you know, yeah. But what I loved about Jeremy's campaign and what I love about the libertarian party in New Hampshire is it's not really, there's not like this myth or like this mis this, this, this like, misconception that we can somehow win an electoral victory and i don't think that's like ever been the goal really because first of all the electoral victories are mostly in the republican party in new hampshire anyway but it's more about just like sending a message and pushing the overton window and creating a culture like jeremy's videos that he put out during his campaign and then like all the messaging we've done from lp new hampshire like it's done it's gotten more attention nationwide than like any other libertarian party affiliate by far like by a factor of like well, 100 gotten more national media and international media than the rest of the uh, lp combined <laughs> yeah i remember one time when we made that Zelensky tweet lp national retweeted it and they wrote about lp national because they retweeted something that we said <laughs> it's just kind of funny like, i still can't believe they retweeted that one <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious like i mean wow. even though like i've you know, got even though i've got like some disagreements with the current yeah you they're know maybe, so much better <laughs> maybe it wasn't uh, I'm, i don't regret it at all but like those that those style of tweets you know we're the only ones who do them and i don't know it it's you know you get the shock value and then but you have to follow it up with the substance and that's what we do every time you did it with the mccain one i did it with the Zelensky one and you know not everyone's gonna like it no yeah i mean the thing is like people have talked about how evil John McCain is for years and no right. one cares. Suddenly, like everyone was talking about like the, you had the New York post reporting on uh, John McCain's war crimes because right. we brought them up. And then with Zelensky, 
with that tweet, you had the Jerusalem Post talking about neo-Nazi factions in Ukraine's military. <laughs> it's like, okay, like how else are you going to get the mainstream? Well, he's a Jewish media president, to... Reed. He can't, he can't be. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I I missed the <laughs> narrative on that one. <laughs> but like yeah. we we effectively got mainstream media to put out the talking points that we wanted them to that they never otherwise would have because right. a lot of them like sent us requests to answer them like why did you write this and then other ones they would just like write they'd include our follow-up tweets right, like, like, you know, a picture of megan mcqueen megan mcqueen <laughs> megan mccain crying over or a photo op of megan mccain crying over a father's casket but it's like you know this 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 woman goes on on the view every day well used to and you know as, as an apologist for war crimes and you know, saying Julian Assange should spend the rest of his life in prison and, you know, normalizing perpetual war to your average soccer mom. Like, you know how many people watch The View and listen to her and, and think she's, you know, some sort of authority and they just believe whatever she says. It's it's just, it's amazing how, you know, people are more offended over that, that tweet than what, she's advocating and what her father for his entire career you know voted for and made happen you know going over to ukraine and standing on a stage with you know Oli tenebach the founder yeah. of the svoboda party who's a neo-nazi party nobody gives a shit about that you know yeah yeah no i mean the 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 shock value like starts a conversation that otherwise would never have been bridged. And I remember, I think it was with the yeah, it was with the McCain one. Afterward, someone tweeted out a video of a drone strike. I don't know what country it was in, but it just showed like a family in this room, and then a yeah, drone that, strike yeah. happens, and then you, like most of the people in the room are killed, and there's this one kid like dragging himself around on the floor with his guts spilling out behind him, and like you're more upset about something offensive we said about this bitch and her warmongering father. Like, right. I mean, it's like, how dare you basically like how, how can you be upset about that? And the thing is like a lot of people in the Liberty movement, they talk about like these blood soaked monsters and these like tyrants and evil thieves and war pigs or whatever. But then when like the rubber meets the road, they get all protective and like offended that we would say such things. But I feel like in New Hampshire, like that's really how we feel <laughs> We're like, no, fuck these people. Like they're the worst thing ever. It's like if if on the anniversary of Saddam Hussein's death, if some Iraqis were like posting pictures of him being hung and saying happy holidays, like no one would have an issue with that. They'd be like, yeah, fuck him. He's Saddam Hussein. But you know, John right. McCain's our Saddam Hussein. <laughs> like he's 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 terrible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's you talked about that video of that kid, and it's just like I I always go back to that that fucking school bus in Yemen that got drone striked by a, by a U.S. missile, and you know, I got I got three kids, I got three girls, and you you just think of that you put yourself in that position like how how you would feel if that if you were the parent of one of those one of those kids on that school bus 40 kindergartners got just 
you know, their lives ended in an instant because of U.S. because of U.S. foreign policy. You know, if I was one of those parents, I'd be looking for the nearest Al Qaeda affiliate. You know, in a, in a heartbeat. You, yeah, you can put yourself in that position. It's it's very easy to do. Yeah, there's situations that would drive normal people to go insane and join a disgusting movement because if they kill your kids, like it's not like, you know, sanity uh, is still on the table. It's just vengeance. So. Uh, that's, 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 that's the worst thing in the world. When you, you know, somebody's kid getting killed and if it's because of a foreign government and it's like, you, obviously they're gonna, oh, you know, never mind. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, man, it's been, uh, it's been great coming back here and getting back into the community, becoming friends with you. Um, and I would encourage anyone who's watching, who's thought about moving here to definitely do it. Like, um, I mean, the, the, the world set free in our lifetime thing that we keep lying to ourselves about is never going to happen. Uh, but I'll give you the last word to you, Eric. What do you, what's just, what do you want to tell people who are thinking about, Liberty and New Hampshire and blue collar work or like anything we've talked about. What are your, uh, any final thoughts you want to add? I would say just come, just come for a visit. There's, um, you know, Pork Fest is this summer, Liberty Forums right around the corner. I think that's next month. Um, go to freestateproject.com. State There's a calendar of events. Just come out for a visit and see if you like, especially if you're a libertarian come out for a visit and let us know let lpnh know let free state project know we'll we'll help with your trip we'll help with your move if you want to move here and you know we're trying to build the libertarian homeland here absolutely all right guys well down in the description i've got eric's twitter and then also lp new hampshire make sure you follow both of those and please go check out Lions of Liberty. If you don't know them already, try to make me look good doing yes, my first sponsorship true. here. Um, I've been on there a few times, like I said, and had had those guys on here. Um, I will be doing an episode Monday night, and then we've got the Four Horsemen with Ben Swan coming next Sunday. So that's going to be a great show. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. I will catch you on the next episode. See you later.